Bienvenidos a Radio Meneayal. My name is Vero Valletti Flores. And I'm Miriam Soila Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love, and this week, it's Black History Month, we wanted to do a deep dive on a Black Latina artist that maybe doesn't get as much play as the other Latina artists get on this month, so we are diving into Susana Vaca. Perez did some research on her today. Yeah, she's a really amazing Afro-Peruvian musician and politician and so many other things, Um, and so... Let's take another listen to this first song. This episode is kind of chronological. So this is one of, this is like her first kind of breakout song. It's called Maria Lando. It's from 1995. Let's take another listen. Pero para María no hay madrugada. Pero para María no hay mediodía Pero para María ninguna luna Alza su copa roja sobre las aguas María no tiene tiempo María Lando De alzar los ojos María de alzar los ojos María Lando so beautiful it is really beautiful so her career kind of started late in terms of like when she finally got attention and shine and i mean that's not surprising i think given what we know about racism and and how difficult it can be to like create to get a recording career especially um with attention outside of your country and so 95 um David Byrne from Talking Heads, who I didn't realize had a whole has a whole like world music label. He yes, um, he does. He learned about it's her music. Yeah, he learned about her, and so he put her on this album. This song is on the album Afro Peruvian Classics: The Soul of Black Peru, and this song was kind of like her breakout hit. And then she started to do. She has had a long, a lot of albums um, on his label, and has kind of had a, a really successful career um, with wow. a lot of attention. I had no idea that yeah. that's how she sort of broke out. Wow. I know. An ally, David Byrne. I know, I know. There's a funny story about when she met him, um, she invited him over to her house to cook dinner for him because she didn't want to like go to a restaurant or something and she's uh, like was embarrassed because like her big dogs were like jumping on him. <laughs> and she didn't, you know, she oh wasn't really aware God. of him. I mean, she knew, you know, that he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. but she, he wasn't like in her world. Yeah, so she was like some um, gringo with some power. But exactly. So yeah, I mean, she was no. in her forties. Yeah. She was in her forties by the time um, these first albums came out and she was, she's 78 now and she's still wow. recording. She just did a tiny desk concert in October. Um, I saw that. That's yeah, so dope. Yeah. And she's 78. I mean, the woman looks amazing. So, um, she sure does. So I want to Also, talk- I love her more cause she has big dogs. 
Big dogs. Big yeah, dogs. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Love, I love. I mean, I love all dogs. Of I know. All sizes, but you know. But it, yeah, it was a sweet story. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about her like early life and and um, before she got to her recording career. So um, she was born in Lima in '44, but she was raised in a small fishing town called Turrios. Um and her family was like very musical. Her father played the guitar. Her aunt sang. Like she talks a lot about. I watched a documentary about like oh. Afro-Peruvian music, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it um, about Afro-Peruvian music, but also about her. Um, and yeah, that music was like a big part of her. Yeah, of her upbringing. And you know, there's there's logic to that that has to do with like growing up in a rural area where she's like, we didn't have. Um, there was no radio, there was no electricity, so there was no um, way to listen to music. And so the way that we, that her family, that they, you know, oh, her ancestors, them. yeah, is that they had to play instruments and they had to sing and stuff. And so she talks about that. You know, she says that, you know, when she decided to be a singer, her mother was really horrified because they were mm. poor. And she said her mother, yeah. all the musicians her mother had known had died of tuberculosis. <laughs> So, oh my god yeah so she actually had a career as a teacher for a long time before wow. um yeah before she i mean she was always singing but um before like yeah. music was actually a career for her and yeah, so yeah. Wow. um yeah that's that that anecdote is from a guardian article that i read about her and so but she did end up getting connected to this woman chabuca granda who is a or who was a really well-known um, peruvian composer and singer and she actually worked mm. as that woman's assistant for a while and it's interesting because she yeah she's like a, i'd never heard of her but she's looking at her research about her she's like a big you know was a big um figure in peruvian music as far as i can tell she she looks like a white peruvian um and mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. But at the end of her life, toward the end of her career, she started to also uplift like the rhythms and music, Afro-Peruvian musical traditions. Um, and that was like a part of Got something it. that she did. You know, so it's interesting like how that sometimes happens where these like bigger figures who are, um, you know, have privilege and power, like she's not black, like uplifting these rhythms and these these sounds that then sort of create some either appetite or acceptability for those rhythms and sounds in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. But the good thing that she did, unlike, you know, Juan Luis Guerra, for example, um, is that she, um, purpose, she was like, okay, I want you, I want to help you, um, meaning Susana to like have your own career. I want you to be, you know, successful. I want, you know, and so she tried to connect her with some recording opportunities, but the problem is that Granda died suddenly at, in 1983 and so the opportunities that she had kind of created for or she was creating for Baca disappeared and so then it took another decade I know it is really sad um so it took another decade for Baca to then find other opportunities to to start her career but the song that we just listened to um was written by Granda and another singer-songwriter Cesar Calvo so there's still this way you see that you know, this woman mm-hmm. really helped um, Susana end up launching her career. And it seems like they had like a very sweet, like mentor relationship from what I can oh, that tell. Is sweet. Yeah. So that was interesting history. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, the Afro-Peruvian music, which was popular, was not considered like high art because of, you know, racism mm-hmm. and, and the mm-hmm. way that Afro-Peruvian right. culture was devalued. Of and, course. <clears throat> you know, Peru has a, has a history similar to, Ecuador and other countries in Latin America where, you know, obviously there was like a huge indigenous community. Then there's the Spanish who came and colonized and a lot of indigenous genocide due to Spanish colonization. And then, um, 
because of that genocide, they decided to bring people who were enslaved, you know, kidnap people from West Africa and bring them as um, enslaved people to Latin America for labor, basically support because they didn't have a labor force because the indigenous communities, they were basically decimating. I know it's like a horrible history. Um, And then there are some indigenous, there were some African communities who ended up being like free earlier than emancipation because of different things that happened. You know, in Ecuador, there was like a big shipwreck and then a bunch of the people who survived ended up having, establishing Mm -hmm. like a free community. Um, In Mm -hmm. Peru, there's Mm -hmm. a story of um, the city called Zanya that was abandoned after an earthquake and a flood. And then these, these black Peruvian folks were able to live independently and as free people because the Spanish abandoned this town, you know? So there's different pockets of stories. So yeah, that is so, um, it's something that's common throughout Latin uh-huh, America and these exactly. like Cimarron communities exactly. of like yep. people who either were formerly enslaved and ran away or, you know, had these highly specific circumstances, like the ones that you describe where like mm-hmm. they're able to like live, in places that were usually geographically isolated, either like on the top of a mountain, somewhere mm-hmm. that's like an island, somewhere really hard to get somewhere to. Was flooded or whatever. Yeah, yeah by white be, people yeah. <laughs> that are trying to subjugate them um, and yeah. live these like sort of like independent small mm-hmm. cimarron communities. I was mm-hmm. recently in Jamaica and where they're talking about how even like such a like a, a small island, what is essentially a small island, there were still like you know, little pockets of like Cimarron or maroon communities mm-hmm. is what they call them in English. Right. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Let's take an, and listen to another song before I keep talking about her history. So this is the first track off her first self-titled album, which was with um, David Burns um, recording. That's called Luaka Bop. Yeah. This song is called Negra Presentuosa and it's from 1997. Let's take a listen. So yeah, like I said, this is the first track on her first self-titled album. And I think like even just the title of the song really, I think, shows you her attitude, right? And her like, and her approach to music is that she's very unapologetically black. She's unapologetically a woman and she's 
very focused on uplifting Afro-Peruvian rhythms, the things that, mm-hmm. you know, she grew up with, the things that are from her, um, from her ancestry. And you can hear, one of the things you can hear in this that is part of that is the cajon, which I know mm-hmm. exists in other... So beautiful. Yeah, it exists in other places as well, but it um, it is very much tied to um, African communities in in Latin America, basically not having any instruments and having, not having drums and having to, um, basically like makeshift something to be a percussive instrument and starting with like empty gourds and empty boxes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's, you know, evolved into this like really beautiful musical instrument. And so you can hear that cajon in this and that's in most of her songs involve the cajon. So there's a quote I wanted to read from her about like her approach. So she says, Peru has had a difficult relationship with its black and indigenous population. This is from the from the Guardian article that I referenced. She says they are the rem- a reminder of its history of slavery, and so our music was often ignored or forgotten. I felt mm. I needed to help keep it alive. Um, and she really is like can be very strongly credited with um, elevating and really giving a platform for Afro-Peruvian rhythms in a, in a really important way. And that's like been a huge part of her contribution as an artist. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And I think that what's, um, what is really interesting for me to know about that is that it's almost a coincidence that she got to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, because she was there, she had been doing it for 40 years. Right. Right. And right. much like in many places, people are doing the same thing. And like, you know, some white guy with yeah. some power and yeah. some resources ran into her. Yeah. And yeah. she had the fortune of um, being given a platform through that. But her talent had been there, you know, mm-hmm. like it had been there this whole time. And she had had like this enormous contribution within her mm-hmm. for decades before this person came along and was able to give her a platform and it it, to me what is interesting to me about that is that I just think about how like random and also how much is lost like has been lost because that people have not been um given or have been like actively excluded from such uh platforms and opportunities and like just how much culture has been lost through that way but super grateful that um you know even at least at some point in her life, Susana was able to do this. And now because of her contributions over the last few decades, like these rhythms that um, had been so marginalized for so long um, have more of a platform. Yeah. And yeah. And then it makes way for other people, other artists to also. Yeah, um, absolutely. Follow in her footsteps and, and be able to record similar music and artists and uh, yeah, musicians and things like that. But yeah, it's in some ways it does feel like a little bit, of a, of a luck story or something, you know? And yeah. How many other people's, yeah, music just doesn't get that kind of attention. And then, yeah, some of the traditions are lost. And some of the songs, right, are literally like oral histories, right? They're just yes. passed down from person to person. So if nobody records them, do they, you know, how are they continued to carry on, you know? And, and, and some things are carried on just from generation to generation and don't need, like, a, an international audience. But it, this does create some... Um, you know, more like record and like, you know, sort of, yeah, record of this, of these, of these songs and these rhythms and that means that we'll yeah, endure. That is an interesting question, you know, because maybe some of these, like, you know, for these songs and these oral histories to be legitimate, they don't need to be written down right. or they don't need to be recorded into like the canon of something that 
you know, like Western societies can recognize, you know, like that isn't necessary. But there is something to be said about, um, you know, like just credit and also funding, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and resources that people get to like really exist to create um, that is such a such a privilege and so yeah in yeah. some ways it's like you know this didn't you know no music or no like indigenous or you know like black music ways require any sort of validation from um white or western right outsiders yeah institutions right mm-hmm. to to be valid and yet like the kinds of resources and platform that it brings and you know like I personally would never, you know, like no. I've never been to Peru. Like I would have never heard this if it wasn't for right. her. So I feel grateful for it. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, and I think there's a precarity that can come with things that are only held in certain Absolutely. people's like minds and hearts. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, this especially means... when there's like active genocide, <laughs> right. exactly. you know, like happening. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I think that's what's cool. Like, the you know, the, the film I watched about her that, again, is going to be in the show notes, like, was really about the history of, of Afro-Peruvian music, you know, but she's been this conduit for that and given it a platform. That's so great. Yeah, which is really beautiful. I and can't she's, wait to watch it. Yeah, and she's also, like, said a lot of things also about, like, that she's not trying to assimilate or trying to cross over. She's not trying to sort of, like, leave Peru in that way, you know? Like, I mean, she's traveled mm-hmm. and things, but, but that, mm-hmm. yeah, for her, like it's very important that, that the music stays rooted um, in what, yeah, what she's in her origins and what she's trying to do. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so she has gotten a few Latin Grammys and over her career. So she has gotten some like, you know, shine from the, the establishment. Um, so let's take a listen now to the title track from the album that won her her first Latin Grammy for best folk album. It's called Lamento Negro and it's from 2002. This is this is the, the album that really got her her first um, her first Grammy. She's gotten three th- Latin Grammys since in in her career so far. Um, she was nominated for she was actually nominated for a Grammy this past 
like non-Latin Grammy awards, but was not awarded the Grammy. Um, and mm-hmm. this is an s- example of a, t- a particular type of like Afro-Peruvian song called a Banalivio um, that has, you know, certain, it has certain musical elements and it also often tells a story of um, like work and like, like the, the, the mm. lyrics usually have to do with like being, um, being in the fields, being in the campo, which this one I don't think lyrically has that, but musically, um, to me, yeah. <clears throat> sounded like it was yeah. borrowing from that tradition. I can see how it sounds, how the percussion sounds like a work song, mm-hmm. you know, because it's about like keeping a certain rhythm to make you, right. like, you know, like keep like working the ground, yeah. or tilling the soil, or uh-huh. like whatever it is that you need to right. do to keep a certain rhythm on it that like actually helps your body be able to like do it in mm-hmm. a way that is like a little bit more um you know fluid and mm-hmm. less prone to injury which is such a like i don't know it's such an incredible technology yeah yeah and also you know connecting to like the the horrors of slavery right the ways in which people yes, were required to be productive in a certain way um and the ways that, that folks used music as a as a tool of resilience and resistance too to to keep Mm -hmm. to keep connected to joy and things yeah the percussion i love how sparse the sound is which is like it's not unusual for work songs because Mm -hmm. you really need to hear the rhythm of the percussion um to be able to um to keep up your rhythm but it's just so uh yeah it's so it's so beautiful yeah I was thinking that we we should do an episode about like lamentos because there's just like a whole like mm. world right of songs that are like lamento boliviano, lamento negro, lamento this and like it's like a it's a particular um, trope that shows up across um, across countries and genres. Um, but yeah. yeah, again, she's really focusing on being black and blackness and like the the life and the. Um, the situation for black folks in Peru. Like it's just, it's like an unwavering um, commitment to her perspective and approach. And I, I really respect that. I also think that in this song, her poetry is very evocative in the sense that she talks about like how like the chains of slavery still weigh on her shoulders, you know, like maybe slavery isn't around anymore, but like that weight, we're still all carrying it. And I think it's like, a really important way of communicating that, that like people don't necessarily understand. You hear so often, especially like in conservative media talking points about how it's like, Oh, this was so long ago, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the impacts of that are like the foundation for how our society is established today. You know, there's nothing. First of all, it wasn't that long ago. Mm -mm. Second, like it, like it's impacts are felt everywhere and i think that like her lyrics are really evocative of that like they create like a really like um just like a different way to hear Mm -hmm. those same words Mm -hmm. yeah and poetry has been very important to her like she actually has a whole album that's all poems like she's talks Mm. about how she's used poetry um as lyrics and like the ways in which that poetry allows you to communicate things in a different way and so yeah poetry is definitely a big part of her of her approach. Um, another thing that comes out really clearly in that documentary, cause it's just, there's a lot of just watching her perform. Um, dance is like a part of everything. Like she's always dancing wow. when she's singing. Um, yeah. and 
and it just feels very connected to yeah her history and her ancestry and like where these music comes from right um and the ways in which people interacted with it so it's really um yeah it's really beautiful she's just like always moving always dancing always really like feeling what she's singing and the rhythms of the music that she's putting out there Yeah, I think that movement is really um, such a key part of the ways that um, Afro-Latin musical expressions take place, right? Like there, I'm, I've been taking some drum classes, Mm. some Venezuelan drumming classes, and it's like movement is like a really also very essential part of it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's been cool to see you doing that. Um, Yeah, it's been really dope. I've, I've really liked it. So what you were saying about like the evidence, like that, you know, the evidence of, and the impact of slavery mm-hmm. is like still current connects to mm-hmm. a story I want to tell that I read about her um, in the next, after the next song. So this next song is from a 2006 album she put out called Travesías. And this song is called Viento del Olvido. Let's take a listen. Como a todas las muchachas del mundo, también a ella Inventaron la con sus sueños los hombres que la amaban y yo la amaba Y yo la amaba Pudo ser para otros un rostro que el viento del olvido borra cada instante. Pudo ser, pero yo la amaba. Yo veía las cosas más sencillas volverse misteriosas cuando ella las tocaba. Las estrellas de la noche, quien sino ella la sembraba. Los días esmeralda, los pájaros tranquilos, los rosarios. I like this, like, demonstrated, you know, there's so many songs to choose from, so many albums, it was hard to decide what to bring. But mm-hmm. um, I felt like this just demonstrated a little bit of, like, a different um, época of her sound, like, kind of like yeah. light and playful and and just yeah it just felt different than some of the other things that we've listened to um yeah and even on the album cover she's like laying on a grassy mm-hmm. knoll just like enjoying yeah. sunshine i yeah. love that i yeah. love that too because i think sometimes when um you know you're a musician who talks about um struggle and um you know oppression there's not a lot of room made for you to be human which also includes like joy and rest and Mm -hmm. all these other things so Mm -hmm. i love i love it it's so i immediately noticed the cover even before i noticed Mm -hmm. the playful music i was like oh my god look at her just lying down in the sunshine it's so beautiful yeah yeah and it's a um in one of the articles about her work they say she describes this record as a personal dialogue a collection of intimate moments for the person who is alone and who is in love The songs are stripped down quiet like a late night conversation. 
Um, she does. She does have a lifetime love. She's been married to her husband for like thirty plus years. So, um, and I, I don't actually know if she has kids. I didn't. I didn't look into that piece of it. But, um, but the story mm. I wanted to tell about this was that so she recorded this album in the U.S. Um, right before she went to Tulane to have what was going to be like a year-long residency or some sort of mm. thing she was doing there. And she arrived in um, September of 2005 and was there for Hurricane Katrina. And she was able to escape the city, basically. Somebody gave her a ride out of the city. But she describes, like, kind of how haunted she was by, you know, watching all these people um, basically be abandoned by their government. And she was, and what she said was, like, you know, you expect that in Latin America, you know? but you don't expect that in the United States. And so mm-hmm. it's like interesting to me for her to witness that, right. As a black woman from Peru, yeah. you know, yeah. witnessing all the suffering and the abandonment of all these black people in the United <sighs> States by their government. Yeah. And yeah, I think the ways in which the United States gets put on this pedestal that it doesn't deserve, especially in the, right. I think in the modern era <laughs> um, where, mm-hmm. yeah, the government is just absolutely, I mean, yeah, Katrina was just, was just such a representation of racism and um, the legacy of slavery and the way that a black city was just abandoned and left to die basically. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I thought that was really haunting. Um, So I don't think it impacted this album because she recorded it, you know, before she saw Katrina, but you know, she ended up in Chicago and, you know, did her residency there instead. But the fact that she, yeah, to see that as someone from outside the U S and to see the ways in which yeah, black communities in the U S are, similarly potentially to latin america abandoned by their by the government you know mm-hmm. despite mm-hmm. the reputation that the u.s earns that it doesn't deserve i think oh yes that is it's such an interesting thing in i mean the american dream and this like right. idea about what the united states is to its people is a really powerful piece of propaganda it is it's a really powerful piece of propaganda and one that um you know now that i am having a lot of like people in my family come to the united states or want to come to the united states um you know not everybody can but uh the ones who can or want to um i just it's it's wild to uh, to think about like and try to communicate like what they might expect when they come here, even with a great deal of support from us who like, you know, like we came under really different conditions, mm-hmm. right? Like my dad had a job, like I was educated here, you know, like my immigrant experience is not going to be the same immigrant experience of like, my uncle who like has a little restaurant and is 50 years old and disabled. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to have the same experience of this country as me. And it's, um, it's that persistent piece of propaganda about like what can happen when you come to the United States, what can happen for you? And I can't imagine what a rude awakening that must've been for her. Um, and how traumatizing and difficult to, to witness. Right. Yeah. To witness that. And I think one thing I wonder is like, obviously the history of this country is like horrific and and based in so much um, racism and oppression. And I wonder if like there is a way in which things started to get worse with George W. Bush, you know, like because of the way Mm -hmm. that conservatism has gone so far right, 
right? And I don't know. I don't know the his, the history as well, and so maybe I'm I might be mis- misunderstanding, you know, what things were like in earlier um, in earlier decades. But it does feel like there's there's this renewed commitment, <laughs> I think, to um, to a type of governance that is just based on neglect and death and and racism, right? Mm. Like, you know, there was an era of like compassionate conservatism and like, right, like things that were supposed to be and maybe again, it was like PR, but I don't know, I just I wonder, honestly, it's so interesting. I, I, I think like, as you said, like, it's been like, nonstop a horror show for a lot of communities in the United States. Um, But I, to me, it's like, I would actually place it at Bill Clinton. Mm, okay yeah because like so many things that bill clinton did like so many of like the reforms of his era when you're talking about like welfare reform Mm -hmm. when you're talking about um or even like you know like ronald reagan for conservatives and bill clinton for um for you know center left i would say Mm -hmm. um i think that you know like the Ronald Reagan was horrifying in so many ways, the war on drugs, et cetera. But I think that Democrats that are so centrist, so as to like lean right in so many of these, their policies, like the neoliberalism, um, that I feel like really started with Bill Clinton and he really shaped what was possible for, you know, like a Democrat, for example, right? Like where, I was watching the State of the Union and I was listening to Joe Biden, who, you know, like, I am not a fan of Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at all. But I was listening to him. I was like, wow, you sound like an old school Democrat, like, mm. talking about unions and infrastructure. And like, mm. you know, like, it made me, first of all, be grateful for the impact that a lot of the, like, social uprisings that have been happening in the last, like, five to ten years um, have had like so much that somebody whose main commitment to politics is winning and for whom, you know, like and Democrats since Clinton, like winning has meant being a neoliberal and leaning more right every single time. I've, it made me grateful for the social movements of the last five to 10 years because somebody like the president of the United States is responding with, you know, things that sound like out of like the Carter era democrats so um but yeah it's like you said it's like been non-stop non-stop for so many people it's yeah wild yeah yeah and it's like i don't know if things like you know the new deal and fdr if those were just like blips of sort of like social like expansion of social programs or if there is some sort of like I mean, there were blips and also, like, so many black people were left behind. Right, that's true. During the New Deal and so many, you know, like, those, like, were programs of social expansion for poor white folks for the most part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. Yep. I was thinking about, you know, thinking about, like, Celia gets so much attention in the U.S. and is, like, lifted up as this, like, incredible black woman musician. 
and which obviously she is which obviously she is yeah like all that is true and sometimes it can feel like it takes up all the space like she's like the one and then everyone else is like cool we've got the one you know but um i was thinking about the fact that susana baka is also not she never migrated to the united states so there is a different Mm -hmm. relationship to the u.s absolutely than celia obviously celia is not also not the only afro um latina musician to migrate to the u.s either but um but i was thinking about that that there is you know Although obviously Susana Vaca has been in the United States and has like performed here and has a relationship to institutions here, um, there isn't that same cultural connection because she she's not yeah, a migrant. Yeah, you know? I mean Celia's gonna be on a quarter, <laughs> right. which like, what a dubious <laughs> distinction, man. Like right. I feel like not that like I've ever I will ever like contribute the amount that it takes to be put on money, but like if I did, I would be like rolling in my fucking grave do not put me on something that dirty but you know maybe she would be into it um you'd rather be on a but, stamp <laughs> yeah she's definitely been the, on a stamp yeah. the stamp is so dope yeah she's been on a stamp <laughs> yeah yeah i think that like both like migrating here and also yeah i wonder if there's something also to be said about being like a cuban exile you know like right. if there's like a way that like um even though she has, you know, like, she's not one to, uh, she was never one to, like, be, like, so explicitly political. At, at right. least that I know, maybe, no. correct me if I'm wrong, no, about right. Cuba. Right. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, like, sometimes, like, the exileness of Cuban artists can be used to, like, sort of shit on socialism at, or mm. shit on, like, you know, like, a certain um, political you know, worldview. Right, um, right. So I wonder if like that can also be part of it. But I definitely think that being here just makes, you know, like it does. Yeah. It like exposes you to different opportunities. And I think yeah. that like, it's like this like two-sided coin, right? Where like we were talking about like, yes, this is propaganda. The American dream is propaganda. And also like being here like does put different opportunities. At yeah, your step, I mean, there's possibly, some, you know? you know, there's some truth to it. In Absolutely, that, yeah. Just in terms of, like, what life is like in the United States. And it looks very different for different people. And it doesn't take much for things to go super downhill. Like, you know, in natural disasters and other things that where people are just mm-hmm. abandoned. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, yeah, it's very inequitable. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point. I know I do think that, I mean, you know, Susana Baca is also, like, yeah, she's very political. And, and Celia wasn't really, you know. Like, she really, that wasn't her focus that wasn't her purpose i mean her her presence is political because she's a black woman like that's always going to be political but yeah in terms of her like her themes and whatnot like yeah susana vaca is really really doing something different in that way of like the ways in which she's constantly um and you know i mean celia has some things that that have that kind of theme to it but i feel like it's very clear with susana vaca that it's like a constant drumbeat kind of of like this is what she's trying to bring to um her music into the industry overall mm-hmm. so let's take we're gonna have two more songs and then another one for our members so this next one is um, a collaboration that she did and i think we brought this song before um to the show but it's called latino america and it's from 2010 and it's with Gai Trece, toto la momposina susana vaca and maria rita let's take a listen Soy. 
Soy lo que dejaron, soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron Un pueblo escondido en la cima, mi piel es de cuero Por eso aguanta cualquier clima, soy una fábrica de humo Mano de obra campesina para tu consumo Frente de frío en el medio del verano El amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano El sol que nace y el día que muere Con los mejores atardeceres Soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles soy Maradona contra Inglaterra, anotándote dos goles Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera, la espina dorsal del planeta en mis cordilleras Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre, el que no quiere a su patria, no quiere a su madre Soy América Latina, un pueblo sin pierna pero que camina Oye, tú no puedes comprar al viento won a Grammy, another Latin Grammy, her second one. And this is, yeah, I think this is a song that's pretty well known. It has a very, like, um, yeah, political, but also, like, um, kind of we are one message around Latin America, like the sort of sense of shared struggle. You know, I think it's interesting that it's it's um, Calle 13, right? Like, this is, like, um, Residente, you know, like, he loves this kind of thing. Like, it's definitely, mm -hmm. you know, he likes to be political mm -hmm. in this way. Um, and, yeah, he brought these three artists all from different... Um, parts of Latin America to collaborate with him on this on this track yeah I mean to Calle Tres's credit this is the reason that I know Susana Vaca this right song. right yeah. Um, yeah I was introduced to her because of this song I didn't know who she was before then yeah um, and I you know it is a very beautiful song I think that um, Sometimes the aspect that like shared struggle sort of piece around Latin America serves to obscure mm -hmm. a lot of internal strife. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've talked about that plenty on this show. And there's a lot of people who, you know, like write their dissertations and books and et cetera. Mm -hmm. this, so we don't need to go into all of that. But it is also, you know, like it is like moving and beautiful. And like there is something to be said about like, you know, togetherness and allyship and um, connecting around shared struggle where it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And the video for the song like does a real is very intentional about like showing the diversity of Latin America, you know, and showing all the different yeah. faces yeah. and people. And so um, although it can feel like it's like collapsing, I think it actually he actually is or they actually are trying to sort of show um, the complexity of what's there. And yeah, like this gave, this brought Susana Vaca to a, a new audience, right? Because Calle Teresa has a, has a very particular reach. Um, and yeah, not being in the Caribbean and like the ways in which those, that's the music segregation happens in that way. So, um, so yeah, this is from 2010 and, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a cool collaboration for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when it came out, I was like, <gasps> you yeah. know, like it was, it was moving to me. Yeah. It is. It also was a time where um, I feel like there was a 2010 was when like Dream Act stuff was in full swing or like, you know, like starting to be in full swing. Um, 
there's like a lot of, um, I think that at that point, movements led by undocumented young people, like risking so, so much, was, you know, like some of the most powerful movement work that was happening um, at the time. And this was like, you know, it, it felt like sort of all mixed up in that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it was like, you know, just a couple of years in the Obama era. It was like a different time. <laughs> I yeah. think there was a sense of, yeah, I don't know, there was a sense of hope, honestly, even though Obama, you know, had so many shortcomings. Um, so, yeah, it's a different moment. Um, okay. So the last thing I want to bring to the main episode is from this really cool um, collaboration album that she put out in 2011. So the thing is like, this woman has been very, very productive. Like she's just like constantly putting out music. It's pretty incredible. Um, and again, like she's in her 70, late seventies now. So this is a collaboration with this Afro-Ecuadorian musician um, named Papa Roncon, um, who I'd never heard of before. And the album is called De La Misma Sangre. Um, and this song is called Hablan Los Negros. Let's take a listen. collaboration was really beautiful um papa roncon is guillermo ayovi erraso from esmeraldas which is a coastal area of ecuador with a a long-standing um black community and it's a place that i got to visit when i was in ecuador and um yeah it has a really beautiful history so i think it's really lovely that they are emphasizing right like um, de la misma sangre, right? Like that these communities, while they, yeah. you know, they're yeah. separated by a border, um, they are mm-hmm. of the same, yeah, of the same blood, of the same people. Um, and he adds a really beautiful element to this, which is marimba playing, which is something that he's really well known for, and that it's something he learned from indigenous communities that um, are neighboring and nearby in Esmeralda. So you know, there's a lot of um, beautiful um, collaboration and and um, partnership between indigenous communities and black communities also in this part of the world. And so you can bring, you can hear that in this track. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. I love the marimba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that in along the Pacific coast of Colombia also, mm-hmm. and the, in the in an area over there, 
there is, and along the rivers, there's a marimba tradition as well that mm-hmm. we talked about mm-hmm. a few months ago, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like the same, the same stories in these different countries that yeah. share, you know, geographic. It's like the Andean indigenous communities and the black communities from mm-hmm. Western Africa were, you know, basically brought together. And then these are the different collaborations that come from that synchronicity. and Incredible. Yeah. It's really cool. So, um... For the members, we're going to listen to an episode, a song from her latest album. She just dropped an album in the fall of 2022. Again, she's 78. She's still doing her thing. But before we get to the member segment, I wanted to just share like a quote, one last quote from her that I feel like, you know, sort of wraps up um, her legacy and where she feels like she's, what she's done with her career. Um, which is, she says, my mission has been accomplished. I am a bridge between the older generation and the new. And I see the young people now really embracing Afro preview music and making it their own. It is flourishing and I don't fear that it will disappear. It has deep roots. Wow. What a gift to be able to see that in your lifetime. I know. So few people, like, I mean, many people contribute to, you know, this sort of, legacy of music being continued to boot but to be able to see the shift how beautiful for her yeah oh and i mentioned at the top that she has had like a brief role as a politician she was um installed as a member of a cabinet in i think it was 2011 but it only lasted six months because of some like political shuffling so she's not Mm -hmm. i don't think being a politician has been a big part of her career but she has been very influential and sort of like the Ministry of Culture and and um, yeah, being yeah, being part of cementing this legacy of of Afro Peruvian music. So yeah, it's really incredible. All right, y'all. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about Susana Vaca. Definitely check her out. She's got an incredible catalog, lots and lots of music to explore. Um, and yeah, if you have some time, this documentary about her was really enjoyable and also just like a lot of beautiful music performed. And you can see the you can see the cajon. You can see people um, playing these traditional instruments it's really beautiful so um, take a look at the show notes to watch that it's free online to watch Um, i cannot wait to watch it yeah and yeah i hope you're finding ways to honor black history month in whatever way feels good um for you it's like every month is you know we we don't we try you know always to to focus on and emphasize um black folks in latin music of course but um, you know, having a month where people are taking more effort with it. Seems like a good yeah. thing. Always helps. Oh, and we are going to be taking a little early spring break um, over the next two weeks. We will be, we won't be releasing new episodes because we've got a bunch of travel, but we'll be back um, in early March with some new episodes for you. Yeah, we'll be back on March 10th. So, uh, you know, we have a, the lucky for you, we have a vast, vast catalog, <laughs> many, do. many years. It's yeah. going to be seven years in March. Yeah, so. it's about to be our um, birthday go month. Go back, <laughs> listen to something that you haven't listened before, revisit something. Um, we've got we've got plenty to keep y'all occupied. And if not, I would highly recommend the new season of La Varega, which is oh, all about Puerto Rican music. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The episode about um, the Willie Colon song. Woo! so good yes yes you just y'all just gotta listen so yeah um take a listen to la brega shout out alana she's so smart and you know that whole team is doing great work agreed but we'll see you back again on march 10th as always all the information about these songs are in our show notes at rileymanea.com and make sure you're following us on instagram and twitter and we have a little newsletter where i had already shouted out that episode from la brega so 
um, yeah, sign up for our newsletter and you can get those kinds of things in your inbox every week. As always, we are on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, shout out to Maite for all her editing help and we will see you very soon. Hasta la próxima. Bye. Maria Lando. Maria Lando. Maria Lando.